Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Leah, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Friday, December 28, 2012. Today we're reading from the big book. We're in the chapter, chapter 7, working with others. We're on the top of page 90, beginning with when you discover a prospect. Today's readers are Monica, Paula, Kim, Sarah, and Sharon. And the share code for yesterday's meeting, that's Thursday, December 27th, 3575. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now call on Melanie to read the 12 steps. Good morning. My name is Melanie. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Minnesota. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed, and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people whenever possible, wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. And with that, I pass. Thank you. I will now call on Du to read the Twelve Traditions. Good morning, this is Du. Um, Twelve Traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. 
two, for a group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders will but trusted servants they do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facilities or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, televisions, and other public medias of communication. 12. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you. Thank you, Do. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you're done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. And today we resume our study of the big book. You'll find us in Chapter 7, Working with Others, on page 90 at the very top, beginning with When You Discover Your Prospect. And I will ask Monica to begin reading. Thank you, Leah. Good morning, everyone. My name is Monica. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. When you discover a prospect for Alcoholics Anonymous, find out all you can about him. If he does not want to stop drinking, don't waste time trying to persuade him. You may spoil a later opportunity. This advice is given for his family also. They should be patient, realizing they are dealing with a sick person. And I think the important uh, part here in this paragraph, of course, here now we're being given instructions as sponsors of, of how to handle, how to work with new people. And the big thing here is if he does not want to stop drinking, don't waste time 
trying to persuade him. And as um, as a sponsor, and um, especially when I was a new sponsor, you know, um, I was all excited and I wanted to save the world and save everybody in it, and and um, um, you know, jumping up with joy. Well, I've got a you know, we've got a solution here, and and it's and and the big book is very clearly telling here. If, if they don't want to stop drinking, don't waste your time persuading him. You know, this is a powerful disease, and we are powerless. They are powerless. We cannot, um, we cannot do it for them. Someone has to be willing and wanting and desiring to do this. And, um, you know, that's kind of hard in the beginning. That's hard to, um, to let somebody continue to suffer, you know? But uh, this is what we're being told, you know, and we have to remember that they are very sick. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Monica. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Hi, good morning. This is Kathy from Maryland. Hey, Kathy, good morning. Go ahead. Hi, good morning. Uh, Yeah, I just want to... Um, piggyback on to what Monica said, you know, it's when you first get a, 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 drip, a drip of recovery into your blood, you just get so pumped up and so excited, and you just think, oh, my God, I'm living a life I, n- I just never even thought was even possible and dreamed of. But, you know, this whole paragraph gets back to the old adage, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. And that is a truly it. No matter how pumped up, how excited you are, how good you are at selling copy machines or real estate, you can't force the sale of recovery down somebody's throat unless they're they're there. And, you know, it gets on to the point you'll spoil a later chance. That is so true because basically what you're doing is building their case of prejudice against this program of recovery and it's also the most difficult thing to do is to step back, walk away, and then let them come find you when they're ready. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Star one to unmute. This is Janet. Hi, this is Betty Ann from New York. Janice and then Betty Ann, please. Okay. Thank you, Leah. Thank you. Good morning, Vision, for you. My name is Janice. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. Okay, the big book is going to do some teaching here about who who are we going to carry the message to and how are we going to find them. You know, who who needs, who is the still-suffering alcoholic who's the still suffering compulsive overeater how are we going to find them and how are we going to carry the message to them you know i love that the big book was written by those penned by those who had had this experience so they can share that with us so that they can share that with us and you know the previous paragraph had been talking about talking to doctors or ministers or priests or hospitals because when this book was written there were no, no meetings, no regular face-to-face meetings, no telephone meetings like we know today. They had to go right out there into the trenches to find people 
and carry the message to them. So, you know, as compulsive overeaters, you know, we we know that there is a huge problem out there. We know because we've had that problem ourselves. And we found this solution. We found this as a way out. We discovered about ourselves, what is this disease that I have? That it is a disease. So when you think that you might know of someone that has this disease, you know, it says you find out all you can about him. Because we know that there are many different types of people out there, and perhaps there's a specific way to reach that person. But the first and foremost, what do you need to find out about him? Does he want to stop eating compulsively or not? You know, does he want to stop eating? You know, all our tradition states is that we need the desire to stop eating compulsively in order to qualify for this program. If we have the desire to stop eating compulsively, it might work for us. Because it says, why would you not try to persuade him? You know, I tried that too. I wanted to cajole and and convince and twist somebody's arm and make them see what I had seen. But, you know, it says you might spoil a later opportunity. You know, they might just get there themselves. They might be as desperate, finally, as I was and as willing, as willing as I finally became. You know, and and if you know the person's family, that might be a good place to start. You might find out some things about them. But we should always remember, we should be patient. The family should be patient as they discover this is an illness, that this is an illness, and that we are we are dealing with someone who is very ill. And I would like that. So I, I'd like to maybe invite you to think about how were you 12 steps? Who carried the message to you and how was it done? Because that experience can be very helpful to us in continuing to pay it forward and carry this message. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Janice. And Betty Ann. Press star one. Okay. Hello? Yes. Okay. Um, Betty Ann, I'm a grateful compulsive overeater, and I'm grateful for this meeting every morning. I just love it since I found it. Um, well, I had an experience yesterday that's perfectly on this topic. It's a person I know that needs a lot of help and reached out to me. And um, their their religious beliefs uh, prevent them, they're very anti-12-step program. And this, this, this caused a great deal of resentment and anger in, in me because I know that this program has saved my life. And why am I resentful and angry at these people? And um, I, I did the best I could, and I respected their opinion. And then I wrote a resentment about it, and I realized it's, the, the big book is telling us about grandiosity. This is what it told me, about grandiosity and humility that I, I, everybody has the right to their own way and their own opinion and their own way, their own path. God made us in specific ways, and we have to honor that, or I have to learn to honor that. And 
I getting upset that they are against 12-step programs um, is uh, me wanting to impose my source of beauty and health onto somebody else who may apparently is not ready or unwilling. And so it was a big realization to me that I, I, um, I became like sort of smaller in my own opinion, but confident that God made me a certain way. And I am so grateful that I can do this, this program and that my religious beliefs do not, in, in not um, interfere or in any way connect or are enhanced, are enhanced by the program. And, um, I'm very grateful that this meeting is here, and thank you very much. And with that, I'm here. Thank you so much. My name is Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. When you discover a prospect for Alcoholics Anonymous, find out all you can about him. Why am I doing that? I'm doing that because I'm establishing a relationship. You know, this is going to be a dialogue. Uh, I look at it as like trying to... Uh, you know, cast out a fishing line and slowly, slowly, slowly reeling the big fish in. And how am I going to do that? I'm going to do that in the way that the big book teaches me to do that, in that I'm going to share my story. And through, through identification, that prospect could possibly, could possibly, come closer in, you know, uh, and and if I know more about this prospect, then I'll be able to share and highlight parts of my history and parts of my story that that person could identify with. So it's a skill. It's a technique. However, it says here, if he does not want to stop drinking, don't waste time trying to persuade him. This is strong language from the big book. I mean, just think of it. <laughs> this big book comes with the first 164 pages that are all geared to helping a drunk get out of the gutter and get his life back. And yet, and yet, the big book is telling me, if he does not want to stop drinking, don't waste your time. So, I mean, the big book is very... Um, The big book is very blunt about this, uh, that, you know, that those of us that are recovered can give a tremendous amount of time to a prospect and a lot of energy, and we love to do that. We want to do that. It's, you know, we have an obligation and a responsibility, and it's self-preservation to do this, to give our time and our energy and our passion. We do that willingly. But you know, we can give everything. We can give our blood, our sweat, our tears, but we can't give a prospect willingness. We cannot give a prospect willingness. We can we can do all kinds of things, but willingness is a one-person job. It's a one-person job. And pain is the greatest motivator to effectuate change. If this person is not feeling the heat of the disease yet, well, you know what? The big book makes that clear in its earlier pages. Let them step into the bar room and try some more controlled drinking because it's going to be worth a bad case of the jitters if the prospect gets full knowledge of his or her condition. I already know my condition. I'm already convinced. But the prospect himself has to be convinced. 
And that is done by the disease. Because if we don't deal with the disease, it will deal with us. And with that, I pass. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph before we move on? This is Paula. May I share? Paula, your turn. Thank you. This would be Paula, Recovered Compulsive Reader, one day at a time. You know, we come into this paragraph, and the the, what, the way we came into it was the last sentence on page 89, to be helpful is our only aim. And this is what we're coming into it with, just to be helpful. And then it says clearly, and, and there may be some re- repetitive things here, well said, though, worth repeating. If he does not want to stop drinking... Don't waste time trying to persuade him because you won't be able to. Time is precious. Time is given to you, and this is it, our purpose. But it says here clearly, don't waste time trying to persuade him. But I love the next line. You may spoil a later opportunity. So yes, to be helpful is your only aim. And as was said, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. But you surely can get him mighty thirsty. You walk away tall and proud. And as was said again, you show by example. You can't push a prod. They bring their willingness, and if it isn't brought, then there is no taking here. Thank you for allowing me to share with that. I do pass. Thank you, Paula. And actually, we'll move on now. With the next paragraph, Paula, please read. Thank you. This would be Paula, Recovered Compulsive Reader. If there is any indication that he wants to stop, have a good talk with the person most interested in him, usually his wife. Get an idea of his behavior, his problems, his background, the seriousness of his condition, and his religious leanings. You need this information to put yourself in his place to see how you would like him to approach you if the tables were turned. Well, that shouldn't be real difficult, should it? To put yourself in his place before you were in his place. Not long ago, maybe different circumstances, but the disease took you, the route it took you. And here it says, approach him, you, if the tables were turned, remembering that clearly. We, you're coming in from and what you're coming to. Thank you for allowing me to share with that. I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Good morning. It's Rick. Hey, Rick. Good morning. My name is Rick. I'm a compulsive reader. Have a good talk uh, with the person most interested in him, his wife. Get an idea of his behavior, his problems, his background, the seriousness of his condition. They want the, the instructions here for us to get to know the person we're going to work, work with. And they give a very clear reason to be able to put ourselves in his place. They want us working uh, out of the, with the idea of empathy. They want us to know who we're working with and what their, their problems are. Yes, we're all compulsive overeaters, but we need to know the person that we're going to work with. We can't just run around and grab people and pull them along and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work with you. They're, they're telling us as, as sponsors to get to know the people we're going to work with. They're not telling the alcoholic to get to know their sponsors. They're telling 
the people that are qualified to sponsor to get to know the people they're going to work with because maybe it won't be a right match. Maybe it won't be the best best situation to work with somebody. So they want us to know the person that we're we're looking after. So with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Anyone else like to comment on what was read? Star one to unmute. This is Janice. Go ahead, Janice. Thank you, Maya. Thank you. You know, yes, you need this information to put yourself in his place to see how you would like him to approach you if the tables were turned. You know, and 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 I have to be reminded of this, and I love that the big book reminds me of this because what it reminds me of is that I am in a whole different place now. I am in a whole different place. And I know, I know that in order to keep what I have so generously been given, in order to keep what I have so diligently and hard work at these first 11 steps, that if I am indeed in that place, if I've tapped that inner resource, if I have had that spiritual awakening, and I'm now trying to live in a spiritual experience, then I have, I have at my disposal the opportunity to put myself in someone else's shoes. You know, that did not happen to me until I could give up my own selfishness, my own me, me, me interests, and begin to look out at other people. And I have been given a gift. I have been given a gift. You know, I can now see and hear and believe and act in ways that I never could before. You know, am I kind and loving towards all? You know, love and tolerance is the code I'm trying to live by. And I know that in order to keep my own recovery going and growing, that I have to do this. I have to see how he would like to be approached if the tables were turned. You know, it it allows me to look at things in a whole different way. It allows me to see this prospect, this person, who might be suffering as miserably and as horribly as I was suffering, how would they best be approached? How can, I, how can I present to them this idea that I have tapped this inner resource? And if you, have, if you have any kind of problem like I had, then maybe it would work for you. But I can do it by telling my story. And yes, I can do it by telling my story in such a way that he might be able to relate to. Because that's what's going to turn the tide. That's what turned the tide for me. That's what turned the tide for me. Because I could relate to the person who was telling me her story. I could relate to that. And that's always the first step, it seems to me, in carrying the message. is to relate to one another. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you so much. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? This is Katie, compulsive reader. Hi, Katie. Um, get an idea of his behavior, his problems, his background, the seriousness of his condition, um, and his religious leanings. Well, <clears throat> I, you know, I don't, I don't, 
I don't find people this way. I mean, I just can only share my own experience, but I do know that that is, um, I could even translate this to just people coming into the rooms for the first time. We have to get to know them. We have to find out what they, uh, what their life has been like up to this point. But the thing is, is we, we can't be the judge of whether they're ready or not. Our job is to carry the message. And people that, you know, seem just critical and, of course, they would want to surrender and, and take this lifeboat, uh, life raft, whatever you want to call it, um, can be the ones that you never see again. It's, um, it's quite a mystery to me, but um, it can be very sad. It can be very hard. But I have to go back over these paragraphs a lot <laughs> to remind myself that it's not about me and it's not up to me and I am not God. Um, and as someone shared earlier, you know, think back to your own experience. And my own experience was I had to be ready. I had to be surrendered and at the point where I was going to do whatever I was told to do. And when there's resistance and yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, you know, the person is likely not ready. Um, We can share our experience and we can share our hope, but we cannot make someone at the point where they're willing to go to any length for their recovery. And our job is to keep carrying the message and, uh, there are a lot of people out there who appear to need this program. <laughs> um, it's just rampant. But what's going on in their head between their two ears um, is what we, we can't always know. And sometimes the person who looks the least likely ready is the one who jumps in with both feet. So that'll pass. Thank you so much. I, too, will comment on this. It says, get an idea. Sorry, go ahead. I'd rather hear you, but um, I'll just quickly just put out, um, get an idea of his behavior, his problems, his background, the seriousness of his condition and his religious leanings. Somehow I feel like, you know, today people don't like being told what to do, and um, sometimes what I, I see today is the best way to reach a person is a person and to get an idea of their willingness is, you know, have they walked into a room? And when I'm sharing, if I'm, you know, in the meetings is a place where recovered people can share their experience, strength, and hope. By me, um, if they're going to identify with me, I need to um, be willing to get up and, and share my behaviors the problems that I had, my background, the seriousness of my condition, the way it was, and and really share what, um, you know, and perhaps in you know certain places it's okay to share religious leanings as well, um, to to just really be willing to disclose and have the courage to share the pain that brought me to the rooms, so that another person can identify with that, and. And want what I have, which means that I need to live a life of recovery. And I need, I can't. This can't be about me trying to tell you what what's good for you. It's about me being a humble servant, um, being there to, to help and to take the next person along the path that's 
worked for me and has transformed my life. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah. Yes, it says here, get an idea of his behavior, his problems, his background, the seriousness of his condition, and his religious leanings. So, you know, right now the big book is guiding me how to sponsor. It's a skill. You know, this is a, a manual, so to speak, um, of how to, how to develop this relationship. Um, it says, get an idea of his behavior, his problems, his background, the seriousness of his condition, his religious leanings. I don't even know this person. I may not even know their last name. Why do I need to get involved in finding out all this information? Well, the big book tells me here you need this information to put yourself in his place to see how you would like him to approach you if the tables were turned. The highest rank in the program is to be a servant. That's the highest rank. We're here to help. <laughs> That's all. That's our aim is to be helpful. So if we know about the prospect, an idea of his behavior, you know, if I, if I know a little bit more, maybe she's a person that grays all day. Well, <laughs> I can pull out those stories. Or maybe he's a person who had violent binges through the night, woke up with bags and boxes on, on his bed sheets. Well, I got a few stories about that, too. Maybe she's a college kid who spends her time bowing over the porcelain toilet bowl. Well, I have some history there. You know, so <laughs> what I'm trying to do, what we try to do, is to let that person know that we come forth with a message of depth and weight. This is not frothy emotional appeal. This is not some physician or psychiatrist or some, uh, you know, nutritionist trying to pound some intellectual information down your head. This is about uh, someone who has been in the depths of that quicksand and has been delivered from it. You know, we come properly armed with facts about ourselves. And with those facts about ourselves, we can win the entire confidence of another compulsive overeater. So get an idea of his behavior, his problems. You know, maybe I need to talk about medical consequences but because that's what's on their mind. Maybe they just came back from the physician who told them they have high blood pressure, high cholesterol, They're, get ready for some syringes because you're, you're diabetic, and, you know, maybe I need to pull out some stories of my medical consequences. Or maybe, maybe their husband has given them the threat of divorce. Maybe that's where their pain emanates from on this day. So maybe I need to talk about that. Maybe that's a good starting point, how this disease deteriorated every facet of my life. Or maybe it's a fellow colleague, you know, at a workplace who can't show up to work on time. And maybe I can start on that avenue. You know, so there's different ways, approaches that kind of reel these people in. It says, get an idea of his behavior, his problems, his background, the seriousness of his condition and his religious leanings. This is not because we are, uh, you know, <laughs> so curious 
you know, and, and eager to uh, gossip about somebody or, you know, we have nothing else to do. This is because we want to be helpful. And in order to be helpful, we need to help them identify in. And if we can groom our stories by sharing that which they might relate to, then we have a better chance. Again, the highest rank in this program of recovery to be a servant. And with that, I pass. Anyone else like to comment before we move on? I'll take that as a no. Let's go on to the next paragraph, please, with Kim. Thanks, Leah. Sometimes it is wise to wait until he goes on a binge. The family may object to this, but unless he is in dangerous physical condition, it is better to risk it. Don't deal with him when he is very drunk, unless he is ugly and the family needs your help. Wait for the end of the spree, or at least for a lucid interval. Then let his family or a friend ask him if he wants to quit for good, and if he would go to any length and go to any extreme to do so. If he says yes, then his attention should be drawn to you as a person who has recovered. You should be described to him as one of the fellowship who, as part of their own recovery, try to help others, and who will be glad to talk to him if he cares to see you. Well, good morning, my fellows. My name is Kim. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. Such specific instructions. Such specific instructions. You know, sometimes it is wise to wait till he goes on a binge. You know, how often do we say, oh, just don't eat, go to meetings. Just don't eat, go to meetings. And here it's saying, let them go on a binge. You know, it says in the AA 12 and 12 that John Barleycorn is our best advocate. You know, for us, it's Sarah Lee and Betty Crocker. You know, that the food is what's going to convince somebody. The food is going to let them know that they are powerless. So until they know that, we cannot convince them. And I love how it continues. Wait for the end of the spree or at least for a lucid interval. And that's why we have to put the food down. If we are drunk, we are simply not available to work the steps. We are not available. It says, then let his family or a friend ask him if he wants to quit for good. You know, how many, well, I'll just do it till after the wedding is over, or, you know, I just need to get past this crisis, and then I'll think about putting it down. Or, you know, it's the end of the year. I'm going to wait till January 1st. I'm going to make this a new resolution that's going to stick. This time it's going to stick. But it's if he wants to quit for good, for good, and if he would go to any extreme to do so. Those are big qualifiers. And that's only something that that individual can decide for themselves. The food will convince them, they make the decision, and then recovered people will extend their hand and lead them through this process. But what does that look like? What does that look like when someone gets to that point when they want, they want to quit for good and they would go to any extreme to do so? And I think the big book can't say, can say it better than I can. So I'm going to just read the bottom of page 25. It says, if you are as seriously alcoholic as we were, we believe there is no middle-of-the-road solution. We were in a position where life was becoming impossible and we had passed into the region from which there is no return through human aid. We had but two alternatives. One was to go on to the bitter end 
blotting out the consciousness of our intolerable situation as best we could, and the other was to accept spiritual help. We did this because we honestly wanted to and were willing to make the effort. So until someone's in that position, we're just wasting our time. As I said, don't waste your time trying to persuade them. Because I know someone gave me a great hint. They said, you know, if you're working harder on someone's recovery than they are, then it's time to let them go. Because that person has to be in that position where there's only two alternatives. And they have to be in that position that if they want to stop for good, and they have to be in that position that they would go to any extreme to do so, or we're just spinning our wheels. And what great instructions for us that are recovered so that we can help the most people who are ready and still be available for the people who still need to go into that research and development committee and we will be available for them when they are done for good. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? It's our one-time mute. Hi, this is Verna in Massachusetts. Go ahead. Thank you. Um, you know, I just dialed in a few minutes ago, and I've just been listening to the recent um, sharing on this, and I love this area in general, just how do we kind of make ourselves available to help others, and how do we work that? You know, and I think of how people worked with me. Uh, some people let me go because I wasn't at my desperation point. Other people worked with me. Here it says, sometimes it is wise to wait until he goes on a binge. You know, I had someone I was sponsoring recently, and I basically said, you know, three times and you're out because he had broken his absence twice. And, you know, and I said, you know, third time because I knew he wasn't working the tools and the disciplines. And, um, as well as he needed to, and that he needed to learn a little bit more. And sometimes we need, as I've heard it said in meetings, do a little bit more research or gain a little bit more experience. Uh, and I've heard it said, you know, I needed to take every bite I took to get to where I've gotten to. And um, and so I had to let this person go, and yet I told him at the same time that I really care about his recovery and I really want to see him get this because he can be so helpful to others, but he can also be of such such much more maximum use to his family, his friends, and the type of work that he does. And you know, I just would keep you know giving them him that uh, encouragement, but I had to let it go. I had to let him go. And um, and you know, now he's got another sponsor, and he's back on track, and and that's a good thing. And it's so, you know, there's another part in this chapter where it talks about you know if we wasted time um, dealing with the same people over and over, we would. Um, not have helped other people that needed our help. And so, you know, I take that into consideration. Wait for the end of the spree or at least for a lucid interval. Like, you know, they say don't talk to a drunk when he's in the drinking, you know, in the in the cups, in the drinking, like with when someone, when they're overeating and binging, like wait until there's something, you know, the storm calms down for a little bit so you can kind of get in there. They have a lucid moment. Different ways of, of approaching different people, and I just love it. Um, you know, the family may object to this, of course, but we can't control them. Um, you know, and all of these different things. Uh, if he says yes, then his attention should be drawn to you as a person who has recovered. You know, and it's just try to feel people out where they are and let them go. Sometimes we can't we can't save everybody. I can't put out every fire that's in front of me. I can only do maybe one at a time and help in certain situations. And uh, 
so we have to um you know just be available as people in recovery and kind of gauge where a person's at like my sister there's nothing i can say to convince her to you know come to oa and and she's read me the riot act a few times that's good for you but i'm not interested you know everybody has a different way and so she still does the diet routine and that's fine okay you know i've been able to finally let go of that um and just let it be uh, and 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 then people that I am able to help, I'm able to help. So, you know, it's just gauging where I'm at and um, try to help others who will be glad, you know, and just see if someone's really ready to do this. We have a saying in our meetings too, and I don't know if other people in other areas say it too, but it's for those who want it, not necessarily for those who need it. And there's so many people that need it out there, um, and all we can do is just be a walking example and be available when they ask for a reason for the hope and the recovery that we do have and and then be willing to help people. So um, in accordance, like to be able to identify with the other person, identify where they're at in that previous paragraph it talked about, identifying the person's uh, different, you know, what angle to approach him at so that I have a better sense of being able to identify with that person and um, and let them know that they're really being heard, that they're being understood, and that they can come and feel safe and they can talk and they can open up. You know, urge them and encourage them to open up and share where I've been and then let them know that they're not alone and all of those things and just help a person to gain another few steps along the path however that might be, uh, but I don't have to linger long in one place. And uh, Anyway, uh, there's just much that can be said about all of this, and I just really appreciate the readings and the sharing here. Thank you. Pass. Thank you, Verna. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Can I share? Of course. This is Monica. Uh, this is and then Monica. Thank you. Go ahead. This is Miriam from Florida. Um I, I just wanted to say that um, I'm very new to this, and, and this is um, I'm, I'm coming from a different angle because my issue is more under eating. But um, it, this is very reassuring to me because um, I feel bad every time I call someone. Um, but knowing that 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 people are so open to helping is it makes me feel like they that I can get to where I need to get to and. And also, like yesterday, I was having a really hard day, and just knowing that I could open up the list and call a bunch of people, and that people really cared and were open to share their experience, um, really was very, very helpful. And um, and yeah, and that's okay. Thank you, Monica. Thank you, Leah. All right, this is Monica, compulsive overreader, recovered today. Thank you, God. Let his family or a friend ask him if he wants to quit for good and if he would go to any extreme to do so. I also, you know, if if the family doesn't ask, as a sponsor, I think this is something we can also ask too, you know. Do you want to continue with the four horsemen? You know, the four horsemen, terror, bewilderment, frustration, despair. You know how you feel the next morning after that binge or the night before? Those four horsemen? Have you had enough fun here? Are you sick and tired of being sick and tired? And then if they say yes, they're they're sick and tired of all this stuff. And then the next thing is, are you willing to do whatever it takes? And they have to have some willingness here or beginning to be willing to work this because if you're not willing it's not going to work 
But these are important questions. And this is very, very important. That, you know, they've got to want this and they've got to be willing to do some work. Or it's not, or you, you can't do it for them, you know. And it's, it's hard as a sponsor to, um, to learn this process of, of letting people go um, that are just not there yet. But I always want to say, um, you know, I'm here. I'm a phone call away. You know, when you're ready, uh, let me know. You know, and and remember that they are very sick, and to let them go with love. And with that, I pass. Thank you so much. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? This is Janice. Hey, Janice. Thank you, Leah. Thank you. It says, wait for the end of a spree or at least for a lucid interval. For a lucid interval. And I can relate that to my own experience is that in that lucid interval, sometimes people have a moment of clarity. Sometimes in that lucid interval, when you're between those horrific binges, when you have not, when you're in that place where you're dry, your bone dry, but not yet recovered, that the pain is greatest. That the pain is greatest because you know in that moment of clarity that you're going to pick up again. No matter how many times you've told yourself this time will be different. It's in that moment of clarity, in that lucid interval, that I can hear, that I'm most likely to hear what someone has to say, someone who had recovered. But I love that they point out to me that someone who as a part of their own recovery needs to carry this message. Because I was so suspicious and so skeptical and in so much pain that I needed to hear that. What? Here's this person who wants to carry this message to me, who wants to talk to me about this, as part of their own recovery. Not some do-gooder who's trying, trying to convince me to join some organization that I was very suspicious of. No, they're, as part of their own recovery. You know, that can be sort of enticing. It can ignite someone's curiosity in that lucid interval. But it is only in that lucid interval that the message can really get carried. You know, if someone is still face down in the Snickers bars, you know, you're, you're probably not going to make much sense to them. But if you can catch them in that lucid interval, when, when things look pretty bleak, you know, I love to talk to people who are in that place where things look pretty bleak because that's when I could hear as well. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you so much. This is Leah. It says, then let his family or a friend ask him if he wants to quit for good and if he would go to any extreme to do so. Again, this is not about us twisting anybody's arm. You know, we let the disease, the big book says, you know, have to be beaten into a state of reasonableness. Well, beaten, you know, <laughs> beaten is beaten. Um, you know, we let the disease convince a person, you know, because if we don't deal with the disease, it will deal with us and 
it was true for me as I crawled my way with tombstones in my eyes. You know, pain was the greatest motivator to effectuate change. The heat got really hot. You know, uh, hell was getting hotter by the day. And so, uh, you know, there came a point when I was, I was willing to go to any extreme to do so, to, to, to escape this, uh, this terror, you know, this, uh, this miserable life. And so, you know, a sponsor can do so much. A sponsor can do so much, humbly do so much. But, again, we can't give willingness. Willingness is a one-person job. It's got to emanate from the depths of one's soul and one's heart that they've had enough. You know, they, I've had enough. Please, please, God, rescue me. I mean, it's not an intellectual exercise whatsoever. It says here, if he says yes, and his attention should be drawn to you as a person who has recovered. Now, why is that? Why is that? Well, you know, God uses recovered people because we know more about recovery from compulsive overeating than anybody alive because we're the people that have done it. God has equipped us with some very, very unique experiences, sometimes decades of living in this disease. And now we have this unique knowledge, and we are able, with God's help, to help a very unique group of human beings compulsive overeaters and God has given us my literature teaches me given us the opportunity to literally avert death in these people so I am an agent that God is using we are agents that God uses we're necessary yes we are necessary we're not sufficient to create the vital change that's necessary to recover for another person but we can be uh a catalyst. We can be a catalyst to that change. How is that? What does a recovered person have? Well, a, per- a recovered person has a dark past that we no longer live in, but we have this dark past, and this dark past, the book says, is the greatest possession that we have because it is the key to life and happiness for other people. So that's where we can be useful. It says, if he says yes and his attention should be drawn to you as a person who has recovered, you should be described to him as one of a fellowship who, as a part of their own recovery, try to help others and who will be glad to talk to him if he cares to talk to you. Again, we're recovered and and we uh, we are used by God, because you can't transmit something you haven't got. So we are used. But what we say to that still-suffering compulsive overeater is if you're looking for a way out, we know exactly where you've come from. I know the feeling of being in that quicksand because that's where I came from too. And with the help of another recovered person and these clear-cut directions in these on these pages, I don't live that way anymore. I no longer live that way anymore. I no longer did the things I used to do. So let us take you by the hand and let us walk with you through these steps and you too can have a spiritual awakening and you too can then carry this message. And with that I pass. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph before we close?
All right. Well, I thank everyone this morning who has shared. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Sarah, could you please read a vision for you? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.